couple of questions as we interact with Scripture this morning. Have you ever been in the presence of what I call raw evil? Have you ever been in the presence of demonic activity or demonic possession? What does demonic possession look like? Is it present today? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 5. We celebrate the birth of Christ, and the one whose birth we celebrate is the one who is interacting with a demonic man in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, reading together verses 1 through 20. And as we read this portion of Scripture, I've asked several people to also respond and try to fit the bill for what is being stated in the passage. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Garrison, where Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind, could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, He replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A herd of pigs was feeding the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, and I'll read that, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town, in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. In Mark 4, 35 through 41, Jesus displayed the fact that he was Lord over nature and calming the storm, quiet, be still. Now in chapter 5, 1 through 20, he displays that he is also Lord over evil spirits. And the events in chapter 5, 1 through 20, seem to take place 
following chapter 4, 35 through 41, because evening had came. And Jesus had told his disciples to get into the boat. And while they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee, what happens? A furious storm breaks up and he calms a storm. Chapter 5 and verse 1, they went across the lake to the region garrison. When they get out of the boat, a man appears. So the events are taking place, apparently sailing during the night. And they run into this guy after a hard day the previous day. That might be one reason Jesus could sleep during the storm. He was totally exhausted. John Edwards says in his, or James Edwards, I'm sorry, says in his commentary, and I quote, Jesus had just calmed a violent storm at sea. He now meets a man with an equally violent storm inside of him. In both cases, the power of Jesus prevails over chaos and destruction. The purpose of the healing of the demoniac, as with the stilling of the storm on the lake, is not simply to leave readers awestruck at Jesus' power, but to prompt them to consider how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Once again, Jesus is connoted with God, for whom the Lord has healed the demoniac is none other than Jesus. End of quote. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, says, there are two and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. So we think about this portion of scripture. There's a number of ways we can respond. We can say we don't believe in the existence of demons. Or as C.S. Lewis says, we can have an unhealthy interest in them. Both are incorrect as this passage makes it very, very clear. Verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of Garrisons, and that is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They had been ministering in Capernaum. They get in the boat. Jesus you know, told them to get in the boat. As they're sailing, the storm comes up. Jesus calms the storm, apparently then rowed to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. The exact location of this city is hard to pinpoint, depends on what writer you're reading as to where they would say it would be, but on the east side. And notice in the context, we have a number of characters involved. When Jesus get out of the boat, one of the characters is Jesus. He's the one who stilled the storm. He's the one who told the parables. He's the one who quieted a man with a demon in chapter 1. He's the one who healed diseases. The 12 are also with Jesus. They're in training, according to chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, to preach and to drive out demons. What better training than to go through this particular experience with Jesus? Also, one of the characters involved is a man with an evil spirit. 
The text says he lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore. Apparently at points in time they tried to bind him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Now if you're willing to do this, go home and have someone get a chain, that you, pretty heavy chain, that you might use to tie up a dog and have them chain you up and then put a lock on the chain and see if you can break out. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, bound, hand and foot. But what did he do? He tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. We're dealing with tremendous strength. You'd probably be shocked if someone... Are you bound someone that thought they were a tough guy? And they just broke out of those chains like there was nothing to it. He also was strong enough that no one could subdue him. And the word for subdue is used in James chapter 3 and verse 7 of taming wild beasts. What else does he do? He's continually crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, the text makes it very clear that the man had an evil spirit. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. He was possessed by demons. This is the fourth encounter of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, where he comes into evil spirits in chapter 1. In verse 24, or 23, just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In chapter 1 and verse 34, it speaks about the fact that Jesus cast out demons. And then in chapter 3, in verse 11, also refers to that. But this description here seems to be describing a setting that is much greater than the other situations, a very intense situation. The evil spirits are also present in verse 2. An evil spirit, a man possessed by an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 foot soldiers plus 120 horsemen plus technical support. To the Jewish mind, it brought the idea of great numbers, efficient organization, and relentless strength. To the Roman reader, they would have understood a legion. In verse 12, the text says, The demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And then in verse 13, he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. 
So we have demons present, a legion of demons. We also have the present, the individuals who are tending the pigs in verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and people went out to see what had happened. We also have the characters present in the context of those who lived in the area and are coming to see what had happened. It is in that setting that Jesus cast out demons. Our Kent Hughes says in writing on this passage, nevertheless, and I quote, demons do not drive men and I'm sorry, nevertheless, demons do drive men and women to the depths of degradation. Why? Because Satan and his minions hate God. They would do anything to attack him. Mankind was created in the image of God and brings glory to him the more we manifest his image. Satan hates us. Thus, the demonic function is to distort and destroy the image of God. End of quote. Satan and demons consider God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit enemies. And I list some references. Satan and demons cannot defeat God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit. I think that's clearly portrayed in this passage in Mark 1, 24. In Colossians chapter 2, just listen as I read what verse 15 says, in the context of Christ and a description of Christ and who he is. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over, triumphing over them by the cross. To them there is referring to the powers and authorities. Christ defeated them through the cross. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17 also brings that out. Satan and demons attack humans who are made in God's image. Genesis 3, 1 through 7, I think that's brought out. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Jesus living as a human, being attacked by Satan. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 talks about that, along with related passages. The more humans display... God's image, the greater they glorify God and Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, along with the whole doctrine of reconciliation. Thus, Satan and demons seek to destroy and distort the image of God in humans. I think that's brought out in the Gospels. very clearly along with related passages. Just listen as I read from Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. They brought him, that is, to Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and speak. In Mark 17 and verse 14, when they came to, the or came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He said, he has seizures and is suffering greatly. 
He's often, he often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. The legion of demons has distorted or had distorted God's image in this man. Taking him to the depths of degradation. They could not subdue him. He lived among the tombs. He's continually crying out and he's cutting himself. Now to build on that, we have demon activity and we have reconciliation that is present in Christ. I think primary demonic activity in this man, as we'll see in a moment, there's a distorted image of God. That's what the demons seek to do. In reconciliation, there's a greater display of the image of God. In this passage, the demon, the demons are in the person or influencing the person. Verse 2 clearly says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man had an evil spirit, with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Verse 8. For Jesus had said to him, the evil spirit, come out of this man, you evil spirit. When we come to reconciliation, Christ comes on the scene. What happens? There's a greater display of the image of God. The demon is in the person, but when Christ comes, then the believer is in Christ. Mark contrast. In this particular passage, there's broken relationships. If you read verses 1 through 5, this man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the arms on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. We're talking with broken relationships, terrible relationships. In Christ and reconciliation, what happens? There's body of Christ relationships, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and so many other passages. This man was also displaying Isolation or individualism. He lived among the tombs. No one can bind him. He's living among the tombs by himself. Reconciliation, there's body life. Pray for one another, encourage one another, spur one another on, and so on. This man also modeled lived a life of independence that is independent from others. He lived in the tombs. He couldn't be bound and so on. In Christ, what happens? There's dependency upon the body of Christ. This man was ruled by verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. 
ruled by an evil spirit. The man said, or the spirit said, my name is Legion. You go to reconciliation, there's a ruling over. You can look in Ephesians 5, you can look in Romans 13 and so on. A marked difference. There's a destructive nature in this passage also. He was chained, but they couldn't bind him. Destructive. What is true when Christ comes on the scene? There's creativity. There's building up. Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16. The demons recognize Jesus and seek to dominate in verse 7. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. And remember, when we were back in chapter 1, we mentioned the use of someone's name is to indicate authority over. So here we find this demon-possessed man, and I'm not going to shout too loud because uh, I might lose my voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He recognized him. Seeking to dominate Christ. In Christ, there's surrender. There's a yieldedness to Christ. There was fear involved in this man's life. As you read verses 1 through 5, in Christ, there's trust of others. In this man's life, there was strength out of control. He hurt himself. I can't envision a man having enough strength to break chains, but this man did. In Christ, there's strength under control. There's gentleness. There's love. There's building. There's patience. And so on. This man yielded to evil desires. In Christ, there's thinking and there's reasoning because later on, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Apparently, this man was naked. In Christ, he is clothed. And we could go on and mention other items. And what does Jesus do? What is your name? He asked. My name is Legion. The spirit replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And we know that Jesus sent, or permitted rather, the he was spirits to be sent into a herd of pigs. Having grown up in a farm that had pigs, I can envision to some extent 2,000 pigs. About 20 times the amount that we had. And what happens? They rush down the steep bank into the lake and they're drowned. 
at the permission of Jesus. After the first of the year, we'll be looking at this passage again. But mentally, I've stepped back a number of times and asked myself, how much demonic activity is present in our world today? When you consider some of the items that were present in the demonic in this passage, just made me stop and think and ask some questions. I've come to a couple of conclusions. But in the midst of that, keep in mind that Satan and demons have been defeated by Christ. Christ gave them permission to go into the pigs, which the legion of demons did. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, 17, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Christ, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Satan and his demons, is the avow, or they are the avowed enemy of Christ, the body of Christ. But Christ defeated him. We may live in a world where Satan dominates. He's the prince of the power of the air but we celebrate the birth of the one who destroyed him. The one who was in control of a legion of demons and let them go into pigs. As we think about the world in which we live, and we may say evil or we may see evil present, but reflect on the fact that Christ is the victor. They saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons setting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I find that interesting, they're afraid. Those who told it to the people, or told it to the people what had happened in the, to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. They don't know how to deal with Jesus, do they? And that tremendous power. The one whose birth we celebrate is our life. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He's at work in us. And as we sing some songs about Christ, reflect on the fact that Christ grew up to be one who manifested his character and how he responded to those in his severe of influence. Travis?